Well, as you know, this weekend is all church float trip. I like to be prepared. You know, take those serious things in life serious. <laughs> but uh, I have a little story I want to tell you this morning as we open up the uh, Second Peter this morning. And uh, this took place a few years back. It appeared the article, the, the story appeared in the Orlando uh, Sentinel, and. Uh, Robert and Glenda Lemons, and I wrote a little bit about this in the midweek paper. How many of you happened to read that in the midweek? All right, six of you, that's good. All right, <laughs> thrills me, but anyway, so I'm going to tell you a story. So they uh, apparently rented a boat. They might have only done, didn't see that in the article, and they went two miles off the coast of uh, Florida on the Gulf side. And uh, uh, Glenda decided that she was going to do a little bit of spearfishing. And in fact, what uh, I didn't say in the article in the paper, the newspaper covered, and Glenda said, I thought I was pretty cool. I was going to just kind of jump off the side of the boat, and I was going to go spearfishing, and uh, uh, I felt very, very cool. And uh, while she was spearfishing, she turned around, and she looked up, and she noticed that the boat that she jumped off of, her boat where her husband was on, uh, was a little bit further away than she thought she had jumped off the side of the boat. And, uh, uh, and she started to swim back to the boat, but discovered that she had a lot of difficulty in swimming back to the boat because she had jumped into an eight-knot current that was pulling her out to, out to sea, out to the gulf. And she started uh, yelling, Robert, Robert, help. And he heard her and turned toward her, and she said something interesting. She said, um, uh, which I really appreciated, she said, because it really fit my sermon, I'm glad she did that. She said, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. And Robert was a quite accomplished swimmer, apparently, in school and uh, had lettered in swimming, and so he dove in immediately and swam toward her, but he also dove into the same eight-knot current. He didn't, wasn't thinking about that. He just thought, well, I can get her. I'll get her back. And then when he got to her, and then they both looked at the boat, the boat was even further away. And so there was a moment of panic, and so they had a plan, and the plan was he turned to her and said, float. I'm going to swim back to the boat, and I'll come back and get you. Six hours later, Robert swimming against the current, swimming and floating and swimming and floating to head to the boat before it totally passed out of sight. The current changed and started going in, which helped him to get to the boat exhausted. He got to the boat, got in the boat, called for help, and decided that he would take the boat back to where he thought she was, but then it was getting dark no wife to be found. The next morning, there was a search party plus him, and they found his wife, Glenda, still floating. 20 miles out to sea. Now, when I read that story, I had to think, and which was, I just, just read it knowing that, there was, that, that she survived. It was frightening to think about jumping into a current and turning around and trying not to get back and not being able to make it and get back to shore. So if, if you have your journals, your spiritual journals this morning, you can turn to 2 Peter because we're opening up the book of 2 Peter this morning. And I kind of want to use that story of Glenda Lemon and her husband Robert. And, uh, and if there's anything could be said from that story is that... Uh, uh, it's surprising how far you can drift off course floating and, uh, and, and how frightening that is. But I want to look at the book of Second Peter. And if you don't have your journal, grab your Bible. If you don't have your Bible with you, then you can open up your phone to your, your uh, uh, Bible 
app and open up your Bible there, whatever platform you're using here this morning, and turn to 2 Peter. Now, when I thought about this message, uh, titled message here this morning, uh, Don't Float, uh, Fight. Okay, bring that up. Don't float, fight. Now, now the float part, um, that's not, that, that, that fit pretty good, but I didn't want to encourage you to fight. And I got thinking, well, that's not a good idea for a preacher to do on Sunday morning is to encourage your people to fight because people seem to accomplish that without much encouragement. But, but I, I did, just, just to defend myself here a little bit on this title, is I started doing a little bit of looking at some words of the word fight in, in the scriptures. And, and they come up some amazing places. And just to kind of, kind of keep the time in control, uh, one of the places it comes up is First and Second Timothy. And in fact, when Paul takes Timothy under his wing, if you kind of know the background there, backstory is Timothy was a young man in the ministry, just kind of breaking in, and Paul is training him. And he gives him, in the first chapter of Timothy, a long list of things to, uh, to do uh, in order to be accomplished in ministry. And, and one of the things he says, and, and interestingly, we're going to look at a list here in just a little bit, he gives a long, uh, not a long list, but he gives a list to Timothy of things to accomplish, and then he said, when he finishes the list, is so that you'll be able to fight the fight of faith. So he's telling Timothy to be able to do that. And then when Paul ends the book of 1 Timothy, as he's wrapping up his discussion with Timothy and training with Timothy, the last chapter, he gives another list of, of character qualities to have. And in that list of, of character qualities... He ends the last character quality is goodness, to have goodness, period. Then he opens up again, and then he says, and fight the fight of faith, period. So fight the fight of faith is a part of character qualities in there. Now, now the, the, probably where Paul was going with the word fight there is not just actually uh, combat or put up your dukes, but it also carries with it, in other places that is used, it is, is, is a contest. Now, the Olympics are wrapping up right now, as we said here, and, and, and uh, there's a lot of people, a lot of uh, athletes, and if you follow anything about any sport, whether it's Olympics or any sport, you will know that there is a lot of effort goes in and energy goes in to accomplishing any sport. It takes not only physical effort, but it takes a great deal of emotional and mental effort if the sport's going to be accomplished. And when you look at it, I'm always amazed at the Olympics. I'm thinking, you're really going to give that person a bronze medal and the fourth person is one-tenth of one-tenth of one second off? Really? But that is effort. That is concentration. That is devotion. So he's telling Timothy here, a part of the list of things that we're supposed to do as Christians is fight the good fight of faith. Stretch yourself, exercise yourself, extend yourself in, the, in this process of, of your faith. So he's going through there and, and making a very important emphasis on this. The last time the Apostle Paul uses this analogy of fighting the fight of faith is in the second Timothy letter, the the last chapter, and Paul says, well, apparently the speculation is, in, is that he's probably in Rome and he's finally up to the final sentencing. He's gone through all the appeals and his head is going to be on the block. And Paul writes, I have fought the good fight of faith. Now, probably there's two implications there. I have faithfully passed on the message given to me by Christ. And the second application is, even though life was not always the sweetest, I stayed the course. I stayed the course. So don't float, fight. It's good. Now, a um, couple other thoughts here on this is uh, we, we're opening up Second Peter. We don't have a clear date when 2 Peter was written. But we do assume it was written after 1 Peter. But we don't know quite how long a period had, had happened there. But many times when scholars do research or do the writings and do the homework on, on P, 
Peter. They often will use 1 Peter as a study, and then they write a book on 2 Peter and Jude. Because 2 Peter and Jude are even more similar on certain topics than 1 Peter. And the topics tend to deal with some very tough subjects uh, on the subjects of, uh, of uh, well, let me put it like this. The great theologian, uh, Bob Dylan, he wrote this song a few years back called Times Are A-Changin'. And apparently, Peter detected and the Holy Spirit driving him and directing him. Times were a-changin' for the early church. And, and both Jude and Peter drive home some powerful comments there in that way. Now, uh, if I were to ask you this morning, You could get an all-expense-paid trip, let's say, to a seminar at Lake of the Ozarks for you and your wife, or maybe your whole family. Total expenses paid, room, meals, to go to a seminar. And the seminar would be titled... Um, how to be happy in all relationships. And then you got another invite to a seminar. Same place, full deal meal, but this seminar was going to be on the subject of the denunciation of false prophets. Which one would you tend to want to attend? to spend a weekend of listening to how to be happy in your relationships or the denunciation of false prophets. I have a suspicion that it would be, man, that denunciation of false prophets sounds a little bit edgy to me out there on the rim. Some goofus marufus out there. I'm going to go for being happy in my relationships. But here's the pitch. Second Peter and Jude, but Second Peter go at it like this. If you want to be happy in relationships, if you want to be happy in life, don't buy falsehoods. Don't buy falsehoods. So they approach it a little different way and they take off their gloves and they hit pretty hard. Both of them do that. So this morning, and, and we're talking about Peter's direction here is truth based on biblical authority. Now, we don't live in a generation that bases truth on anything. Truth is pure subjective feeling in our culture. Or it could be might makes right truth. A lot of countries have tried that approach. But the biblical principle is that there is a truth that is to enter into our thinking that should give us direction for healthy and successful living or happiness, or fulfillment, and the better life. So that becomes the challenge here. And so what I've done here on this, I've kind of taken an outline here. And I'm going to follow this outline through. So if you've got your books open, so we go to the outline next. Outline next. Well, see, that's some of the problems you get. All right. I don't know there's an outline there, but I'm going to give you the outline. All right. If you, the, the, um, the English Standard Translation that we're using right here, right now, um, in fact, I don't know any of the translations right, right, right this way, but the train of thought seems to break real, real well this way. So here, here's, what I, here's what I want to challenge you with, if you can keep this in your mind. Verses 1 through 4, I'm going to look at verses 1 through 4 first. So you know where I'm going here. 
And then we'll look at verses 5 through 11. And then I'm going to end up with a transition section, 12 through 15. All right? So we're going to look at that. All right, the first one here, let's go back to the first one. Okay, as a Christian, we are are all full-ride students, scholarship students. Now, if your son or daughter got a letter in the mail that said they applied for a college and they said, you, son, and your daughter have a full-ride scholarship, most of us would be going, yay. Now, I looked up full-ride scholarships. I did a little research on them. And there's no full-ride scholarships that aren't conditional. One, you got to attend that college. (laughs) How about that one? And there's other things that you have to do for the full-ride scholarship. But it does mean, for most cases, room, board, tuition, the works. So that's the first four verses. We're going to come back and look at that in just a second. Okay, the second part of this outline is we must actively pursue course requirements, which means part of a scholarship is you go there for a certain scholarship and a certain study and a certain field, and they want to boast their uh, prowess in their, uh, of that university, and they want that person there to be in that field. If you've got a full-ride scholarship and you qualified for a, a medical scholarship and you decide to go be an artist, that probably won't work. But, but we're required as Christians to be actively taking the course. Okay, third point. We must participate in an intern program in, before we are granted our degree. We have to have an internship before we're really done done with that degree program. We do that. Okay, so I'm going to use those three things as I go through these sections of Scripture. Are we all on the same, in the same boat? Okay. All right, so here we go. First verse. The Scripture up there. We can put the Scripture up there. All right, and they'll go through it as we, if you didn't bring your journal or your Bible or hope God will be good to you. Okay, here's the deal. Simon Peter, a servant of an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, he opens this one up a little differently than he does the first one. In the first one, he doesn't call himself Simon Peter. He calls himself, or nor does he call himself, a servant. Here he puts his birth name, Simon, and then he also adds his Christ-given name, Peter. Pebble, rock, Peter, Simon, Peter, servant, but he also adds apostle. And, and I think there's some reasons he does that there. As he, and, and now understanding, ladies and gentlemen, this is his last book toward uh, the end of his life, and he's just about ready to wrap up his, his life there. So, so equal stand, he says, to those who have obtained faith by equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God our, and, and God and Jesus our Lord. So and that's, a, that's a very brief introduction. It's a typical first century introduction. He's putting up all his cards. He's playing them right up front there. And he's saying, the basic thing here is, guess what? And, and, and he unpacks this a little bit later in verse, as we, a little bit later in verse 3. He says, his divine power is granted to us and if you're really a grammarian, the us there, the next and the closest antecedent is ours, and the ours is the apostles. So here's he kind of get the picture here, is that when you think about Jesus and walking the face of the earth, and you think about Jesus talking to apostles, or talking to Peter and James and John and, and Simon, uh, Justice, uh, James the Less and James the Greater and John, and as you think about that relationship, 
what he's, what he's going to unpack here is, guess what? You think it was a great thing to have walked with Jesus then and dealt with him face to face? Don't kid yourself. You are doing that now. This is your shot now. You are engaged in that kind of front-end, face-up, face-present relationship with Jesus Christ. And all through the New Testament, all through the Bible, it says the presence of Jesus is with us, and we should be up every morning and say, okay, Jesus, what's the conversation for you and me today in this engagement with you? But he says, it's granted to you all things pertaining to life and godliness. And this word godliness appears several times here. Maybe one good translation of this in the context right here is goodness, life and goodness. And he's talking about the good life. Never have a happy, great weekend you wanted to go to? I know you did. But he says, the way to get to the good life is to be involved here. And we're, and we're going to bring it to you. I'm bringing it to you through the knowledge of him who has called us into his glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us precious and very great promises that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of this world. Now, there's a couple key words here. There's a ton of key words that I always talk about, but there's one key word here. If you go back to verse 2, it says, if you can scroll back to verse 2 there, back to it says, may the grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. Now, Peter is big on this word. This that word knowledge. Knowledge. There's, there's a couple different ways to... Right knowledge in, in, in Greek, but he uses the word just gnosko. He uses the word with the prefix uh, epsilon iota, epsilon phi iota, and, 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 and he says epigonosko. Epigonosko. Now, epigonosko works like this it is not just knowledge, it's a different kind of knowledge. Well, not really. You all really, really, really like this kind of knowledge. Now, for instance, if you go to a doctor, you're familiar with your doctor, and you assume you see the degrees on the wall, so he's telling you, I'm smart, or I went to school, I know something that you don't know, And, and he gives you some kind of a, a, a diagnosis or some kind of prescription. But you also want a doctor that knows more than just books, right? And you, want to, and you really want to know a doctor that knows more than one book. And you want to know a doctor that's had life experience that puts the knowledge together from multiple sources and puts it together. This is the epigonosco here. And this is the first time, there's a lot of generic introductions in the, in the epistles, but in this epistle of 2 Peter, he introduces this concept for the first time. May grace and peace through epigonosco. And that means you've got to put the cooking together. It's not just, I mean, all you know is there are people that can cook and there are people that can cook. And you can say to the people that can cook, how did you get that taste that way? Well, I've just tried this before, and instead of a spoonful, I just kind of take a pinch. Well, how much is a pinch? Well, I just feel it. That's how much. So you put the whole bake together. You put it together so life comes together because you put it to, you make the effort to come together. Okay, so... so to get on there, but, but the idea here is we had this full-ride scholarship through the knowledge of Jesus Christ to make life work. But we need to learn to make the recipe work because we need to apply multiple sources to make the recipe work. Multiple pieces of information from the Scriptures, from God, from His truth, to put our life to work. And, and I'm going to get to how that comes to better, together, together in just a, just a few seconds here. Okay. Um, so we, we do have this. It's been granted to us in, in His mercy and His grace. And, and that last part, there's, he says, we having escaped the corruption of this world because of sinful desires. 
He's saying, you can have the good life, and you can get out of the bad life. You can escape. You ask people that have been down, down, down in the dark hole, and they're going to tell you, I'm finally free. You can tell a person that's been wrapped up around an addiction, and once they're finally free, and they're able to see life that they've never seen life before, free. Verse 5. Verse 5, and move to the second part. Are you with me? We must actively pursue course requirements. So now we're talking about course requirements here. All right. Verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement. Now, Peter is big on this word effort. Bust your buttons. Reach for it. Strain for it. Lean into it. But he says, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. The word supplement there is kind of an interesting word. Make every effort to chorus your faith. No, not sing. I won't get it for you. He's talking about put together a chorus. Because the context... If, you, if you're going to really get into this to make life work, you've got to put a chorus together. But here's a better word where this root comes back into us. If you're here of choreography, so if you're like putting together a play, putting together a musical, and, and you're going to have somebody dance on it, this cue, someone sing on this cue, you're going to have the soprano sing here, the baritone sing here, you're going to have the actors come in back here. You're going to have the stage set move this way. You're going to choreograph the whole thing so it all comes together and clicks and works. And the message comes across in perfect timing and absolute alignment. So Paul says, make every effort to choreograph your faith. So you look back and you say, what could we add? What could I add to my walk with Christ to enhance it better? What could I add to my... And in fact, this, this word also, this chore, is choreograph your faith for presentation. <gasps> I don't do anything for show for Jesus. Bull. You do. You've been called to present your faith to your children. You've been called to present your faith to your neighbor. You've been called to present your faith to the people that you care about because you are on stage of life. So present your choreographed life so it draws attention. Oh, there's tremendous application there. You know, I'm, uh, I'm so grateful when I, Sunday morning I see the kids come in and they're skipping across the parking lot. This is a great place to be. They need to see dad skip. They need to see mom skip. They need to say, this is sweet. So you really got to cut down those arguments on the way to church. <laughs> All right. Not, a, not, not too much reality there. Okay. Okay. On with our journal here. So he says, supplement, supplement your faith with virtue. Now, now there's, a, there's a list here. There's a list here. Everybody loves, people, some people here just love this. And the reason they love this, because you can check them all. Chip, 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 done. There's a bunch of lists in the New Testament. You aren't done. And the interesting thing about lists is, if you happen to be strong on the first part of the list, and you, and you screwed up the bottom part, 
You've got plenty to do. And if you happen to come to the bottom part of the list and say, I do that real good, and you haven't done anything on the top part, you can go back and redo it. It's not like you're done one time and you're finished. This is a, remember, you're, you're choreographing the whole drama of your life presentation here. And so, you, and I'm just going to kind of go through this pretty quickly here. But for you put, so part of the list here, just so you kind of get an idea here, is, is that uh, virtue here is on the list. That's, a, that's kind of a tough word that appears several different times in the New Testament. Usually we think of it in English, in our daily vernacular here, it's moral goodness, some kind of goodness. And goodness is there, but, but it means a higher level. In fact, a lot of different translations even talk about this as being boldness, firm, uh, firmness, and independence. Um, Barnes's note says, a good translation of this word virtue in context is having courage. Having the courage to stand up for your faith and sing your song and do your dance and live it out in front of the people. And then you add to courage knowledge. Now, the interesting thing here, this is not epigenosco, this is just gnosco. Well, what's it get consistent? What he's saying here is it's still good to read. It's still good to know. It's still good to put your nose in the book. You say, well, I've heard people say, well, you know, I just read it and I forget it. Read it again. I still forget it. Read it again. Remember, you are extending yourself. Remember, you're making an effort. Make every effort. I've noticed the more I read, the better it is to retain. The less I read, didn't work that way. Then you add to your knowledge self-control. This is a spiritual strength. It's kind of interesting that when you start to know something, you ought to be self-controlled. Isn't that kind of interesting? There's nothing like a know-it-all. That always has the answers, but rather be self-controlled. And then uh, several translations here. Put on steadfastness or perseverance. And what does it say here on this one? Steadfastness. Steadfast person is someone who doesn't blow away at the first time of trouble. Steadfastness, perseverance is not just boom, 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 take it, but it's keeping it's constantly staying on course. I'm going to get there. And of course, you know when you roll, you line up with someone on the other side if you're rolling this way, so you keep that being. So you get there. You stay with it. And then, you, and then with steadfastness, then godliness. The character is what would God do? I, I want to get up in the morning and say, God, what are you thinking about today? What are you thinking about this business deal I'm going to face? What are you thinking about this purchase I'm going to make? What do you think about this, God? What do you think about that, God? And then he says, then when you start getting in that point, try a little brotherly kindness. Because that's the test of everything, isn't it? Can we really get along with each other? On a scale from uh, uh, 1 to 10, on getting along with your wife or husband and brotherly kindness, where would you put yourself? Now, when you ask that for marriage couples, well, how's your marriage from one to ten? Husband usually puts about a seven. The wife puts it about a four and a half. <laughs> All right, we won't go there either. Okay. <clears throat> so, and the word here, the word, the simple word, Philadelphia, brotherly kindness. And, and then it says, and then it ends up with love, total agape love. You can kind of see the complete circle there. Doesn't mean it's the only complete circle. There's many applications in the New Testament, but it is there. Now, in verses 8 and 9, quickly for if, if these qualities are yours, this interesting word, yours is possession. You own it. People, let me tell you, most people will die in a rented bed. Right? With rented sheets in a room with a stranger. 
that's me. I have no control of that. But I'll have Jesus. I'll have Jesus with me because he's been with me through all the other times. And I won't be alone. I'll be his and he will be mine. Then he says, for these qualities are yours. Then he throws in, I tell you, Peter won't let up, with increasing measure, overflowing. You say, I've got all I need. I'm I'm, I'm three-fourths full. I checked the dipstick this morning. No, overflowing. Then he says, for whoever lacks these qualities is nearsighted, and he is blind. Now, nearsighted is myopia. The idea is, you're just, if you're just surviving, for, if it's just right here and now, if you don't see the bigger picture, if you don't see beyond, you're going to miss this. I, I could point out to you a few things there. Uh, increasing means you aren't floating. It means that you're building your life with the things of Christ. Now, quick, quickly here, verse 10. Therefore, here's a big slammer for section of Scripture. A lot of people have, have uh, fussed over this. You can fuss over if you want to. All right, therefore... Brothers and sisters, he's talking to remember the context here is those who are in Christ hanging in there. Be all the more diligent, zealous to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. The Greek says, make sure for yourself. Don't trust mom's faith. Don't trust dad's faith. Don't trust the wife's faith. Don't trust the husband's faith. Don't trust the preacher's faith. This is yours. Make it yours. Now, theologians can puzzle over the mysterious relationship between God's power and man's will or lack of will, and they've done that since the 17th century. Whether you're going to be a Calvinist in this calling and election, or you're going to be an Armenian calling Arminius after Jacob Arminius, and if you want to resurrect something that took place hundreds and hundreds of years ago, okay, but one thing for sure about this statement It is a warning by Peter to those who were in the faith. My experience in driving, when there's a warning, there's a potential problem. And if it says, warning, sharp curve, 20 miles an hour, probably ought to heat it. So the Apostle Paul is saying here, there's a warning here, for every person. Be more diligent, confirm your calling and election. If you are practice these qualities, you will never fall. That means they must be up into something in order to fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not how much I don't have to do. It says here, if you practice. Now, that's a pretty practice. Something you do and do and do and do. NIV just says do. There's a do. Any great relationship you have, you better be do. You better be doing. Anything, any skills, any advocation, anything that you enjoy in life, 
It's a do. You gotta do. You just don't sit there and say, I don't know anything about it, but I'm really enjoying it. That doesn't work that way. Now, the last few verses here. 12, uh, this is, uh, so those are the course requirements. Next one here is the internship program. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Hint, we forget. Don't we forget. We forget and we drift. We float. We all do. And it says, I remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Established, you are established in the truth. Don't drift from the truth. I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Now, he changes the thing here. This is a, this is a hinge text between what's going to follow. Because this is just the introductory of 2 Peter. John starts pulling the rest of 2 Peter. He's going to talk about those false prophets. So he starts bringing up his health, or apparent lack thereof health. I've always intended to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth of hell that you have. I think it right, as long as I'm in the body, to stir you up by the way of reminder. How many times has he said, remember and remind you here? So Peter's saying, my time is near. Verse 14, since I know that the putting off the body will be soon, as the Lord Jesus Christ was clear to me. That kind of goes back, some think, it goes back to when Peter was Sea of Galilee and Peter says, what about John? He says, don't worry about John, just worry about Peter. Because someday someone's going to take you by the hand and lead you by the hand. I, mean, I kind of got the impression that Peter is not a guy that thinks he's going to be led anyplace. But someday you will be. But he said, and I will make every effort, here he goes again, so that, in a clause, for the purpose of, so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. All right, here's my, here's my pitch on the last part of it. Well, I said internship. You got a full ride scholarship. You have to take the course. You need to immerse yourself in the classes. And you need to immerse yourself, heart and soul. It's not, you're, here's the thing, folks. You're not just in it to get a grade. We all know how to do that. Both our daughters were brilliant at that until we started to homeschool in the last one and figured out, you don't know nothing. <laughs> How could you make straight A's? Because <laughs> I made them for the test. And then I was on to the next test. And I've done that. This is for life and godliness. Yours and the people that you're presenting your life show to. To this community, to this church. When we had the, the group uh, rally last Friday, this Friday night, we were cleaning up and I was watching people. I was working too. I got home, I thought of this lady. I've seen her clean that kitchen up 50 years ago. Thank God for that lady. Thank God for you that do that work and do all the work in this church and serve in small and great ways. Thank God because it does have a message. It shows God's good and precious promises through all generations. This, you know where you take your internship? Here. In church with all these messed up people.
This is where you learn how to do brotherly love. This is your class requirement here. We come to do that together. To learn it together. Have relations as to one another. Learning to love other people. Not to float. Peter says, I, he said to here, I want to wake you up. In fact, it's not the word he uses, but the word he comes in. So I will stir you up. And the word stir there is shaking you to wake. Verse 7 and 8 says, if you don't, he says, if you don't, you lack these qualities and you're blind, and I can't find it right now, but he says, you will become eh, ergon. Ah, ergon. No worky. No worky. Goofball, Christian. Then he says, and akapos. No fruit. No fruit, no work. Just stagnate, drift away. And some morning, and I've seen it too many times in 53 years of ministry, you're too far from the boat to get back. We tend to disconnect our minds from our walk. That's why Peter repeats there. Remember, think this through. Get the notes go. Get the epigenos go. Put the books together. Put the information together that you've heard from many different sources. And then he said, here's the last shocker. For so that after I'm gone, you may be able to recall these things and do them. When some of these athletes go back home, if you, if you scroll down that whole list of the standards of medals and you get down to the bottom, you got one person got one bronze from one country. And that bronze medal is going to be up in his living room for the rest of his life. Paul said it this way, you are my My daughters are my medals. This church and the people in it can be your medals. The children in this church could be your medals. Edward Martin wrote this poem. Within my earthly temple, there's a crowd. There's one of us that's humble and one of us that's proud. There's one that's brokenhearted for sin, and there's one who's impotently that sits and grins. There's one that loves his neighbor as himself and one that cares for naught but fame and self. From much corrupting care I should flee if I could only determine which one is me. couple came back with closing thought here. They've been in uh, Africa for a number of years back in the early part of the 1900s, about 1901, 1905. And they were coming back and they took a, a ship, which is the mainline transportation then, and they were taking a ship back from Africa back to New York City. Coming home after a long stint on the mission field, they'd served faithfully and had a lot of struggles. And it so happened in 1905, 1901, 1905, it was the president, 26th president, Theodore Roosevelt, and Theodore Roosevelt was a very glamorous president, very flashy. I'm sure some of you remember him very well. But anyway, <laughs> uh, he was a... Uh, 
One of his, he was a conservationist in a lot of our national parks, results from him. But um, he also liked to kill animals. He was a big game hunter. And uh, he would take trips and safaris to Africa, and he would bag his rhinoceros and so forth and get his picture in the paper. And, and when they were coming into the harbor, it just so happened that Theodore Roosevelt was coming into the harbor also, returning from his great trip to Africa that was covered in all the newspapers around the world. And there was a band there, a military band, and people welcomed him, and, and they were pounding the band, the drums, and the trumpets were playing, and crowds were shouting, and the, the ships were dark docked there, and gangplanks, and here comes Theodore and his entourage, and all the applause, and all the hullabaloo, and husband said to his wife, they were standing on the deck of the, there, and he said, uh, of all the years we spent in Africa, there's no one here to welcome us home. And the guy that goes, kills an elephant, <laughs> brass band. His wife leaned to him and said, Honey, we aren't home yet. Don't be nearsighted. Get the big picture. Don't be fooled. The government's talking about inflation. You know how big corporations handle inflation? Bigger boxes, less product. <laughs> They've done it before. They're doing it now. We open up the rest of 2 Peter next Sunday. Don't be fooled. I'm going to sing a song here. I pray as you sing the song that you'll be saying, Lord, give me farsightedness. Help me to see the big picture all the way. Let's stand and sing together.